the Mike Tomlin Game Day Podcast with Steelers Digest Editor Bob Labriola. Okay, Coach, last week against the Rams, you were faced with this situation late in the game. Fourth and one from the 39-yard line with 2.24 remaining. You had a 24-17 lead, and you made the decision to go for the first down. When you make that decision, is it more about trusting your defense to protect the lead if you don't convert, or having confidence in your offense to get that yard to convert and essentially end the game? It's really about making one play as opposed to multiple plays. As you mentioned, we get the first down, man, the game's over. And, um, and so I try not to make the simple complex. Um, one scenario, you got to make one play. Um, the other scenario, you got to make multiple plays in multiple phases. Um, and, and so um, from that perspective, it's, it's simple. Secondarily, um, from a coach's perspective, man, if you can't get less than a yard, you don't deserve to win. Um, and so there's a prevailing mindset in that regard that's, that I was raised on in this business uh, you got to be able to get a yard uh, in this game, uh, particularly in weighty moments. Also from the Rams game, the television cameras caught you talking to both Deontay Johnson and George Pickens at the same time after the taunting penalties, and it didn't appear to be a butt-chewing. What was your message to them at that time? Well, there's always a lot of layers to discussions. I won't get into too much specifics, but um, Akello Witherspoon is a former Steeler. And so there was some friendly banter among guys who have a personal relationship, and I don't think that the referees understood that. Um, but it's probably not the referee's job to understand that. The banter that was going on among those guys was not malicious in nature. It was not unsportsmanlike. Um, but if you didn't know the backstory or know the people involved, it probably could have, could have been perceived that way. And so there was a lot of discussions to be had. Uh, that was just one of them. Uh, what's your level of tolerance or understanding for those kind of penalties by your players? As I mentioned, there's always a lot of layers to it. Um, I hold myself uh, accountable first and foremost. It's my job first to get a feel for, for the tenor of that officiating group week in and week out and then relay that to players and make sure they understand it. And it was obvious from the very outset of that game um, there was a certain tenor from that officiating crew and we did a poor job of adjusting, so that's my responsibility. What do you believe the league is trying to accomplish or maybe avoid by having officials penalize what they perceive as taunting? You know, um, I know exactly um, what the agenda is because I'm on the competition committee. Um, we just want to pre present a, a sportsmanlike game. Um, and so we want to get some of the shenanigans out, particularly the, the mean-spirited or ill-spirited shenanigans. Um, so... Um, the, the, the agenda is very clear, but oftentimes, you know, there's complexities in terms of interpreting that or understanding that and understanding the tenor of the day, et cetera. It's no different than lining up in the neutral zone. Some weeks, man, you'll get verbal warning. Some weeks they'll throw penalties immediately. Um, sometimes there are dialogues about offense alignment not being on the line of scrimmage and passing circumstances, the tackles oftentimes buy themselves as much real estate as they can. Sometimes it's, it's a give and take. It's communication. It's warnings, warning to the players, warning to the sideline. In some instances, man, it's just penalties. Um, and so, you know, um, it's something that we deal with week in and week out. It's a component of the professional game. I'm not trying to make more out of it than what it is. Uh, it is our responsibility to understand the tenor.
When you were asked about how Dan Moore played against the Rams in his first game back from an injury, you said, I thought he was really solid, not only his play, but his demeanor. He brings a grown man approach to it. What do you mean by a grown man approach? He's just really mature um, in his approach to business um, and, and, and his mindset and really always has been. Um, and that's why he played so much as a young guy, man. This guy played over 2,000 snaps his first two years in the league, and that's been an awesome resource or a base for him to build uh, from. Uh, and so first, it's availability. It takes a certain mental toughness to be to have that level of availability that he's displayed over, over the course of his career. And obviously, um, he's benefited from, from those physical repetitions, and there's been some growth in, in his performance uh, continually. Um, and so those are the things that you value, man. Um, you know, you draft guys, you like the, the framework, if you will. You like, you like the piece of clay. But then it's their job and our job to mold it, and he has been a guy that's done an awesome job of doing that. The NFL trading deadline is at 4 p.m. on Tuesday, October the 31st. In the way that football is played at the NFL level, is it reasonable to expect a player acquired between now and October the 31st to be able to come in and make a significant contribution this season? Without a doubt, but obviously it, it depends first and foremost on who that player is. Um, there are different types of trades that occur this time of year. Sometimes it might be marquee players for a variety of reasons, last year of their contract and trajectory of a program or what have you. I don't even want to get into you know trying to forecast the decisions that, that dictate um, the moves that people make. And then there's sometimes one man's trash is another man's treasure, if you will. Sometimes it's, you know, filling in the gaps, uh, special teams like people, quality depth, et cetera. And so um, first and foremost, from an impact perspective, it, it depends on who we're talking about. Uh, but certainly there's opportunities for, for, for major contributions um, this time of year. What is it specifically about the NFL that makes deadline trades so rare compared to basketball, baseball, and hockey? You know, I think, think that, you know, the collective, the cohesive component of our game, the 11 men working in concert, the complexities of teamwork that's continually on display in our game makes it more difficult. I'd imagine, you know, you get a couple guys that can drop 30 a night, you're going to have a pretty good basketball team. Um, there's a lot of complexities, obviously, to our game. And, and the fact that the, game, the way that the game is played in terms of you know, interrelating moving parts a little bit different than baseball, for example, um, are some of the reasons why I think it's a more, more complex endeavor. Uh, Cam Hayward returned to practice this week, which means his 21-day clock has started to come off injured reserve. What will you need to see from him to show you he's ready to play in a game? You know, there's the overall health component because healthy enough to practice doesn't necessarily mean healthy enough to play. And so, there's continued discussions regarding his levels of health, and then the, there's a conditioning component that need to be needs to be analyzed when the guy's been inactive since week one. Um, a football conditioning component to be analyzed, and then thirdly, there's a strength component because of the position that he plays <laughs> uh, and his style of play. Um, and so um, there are many layers to it, but I'm excited that he's back out. His presence is valued. And now we'll just go one foot in front of the other and take it day by day. Today's opponent is the Jacksonville Jaguars. Their quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, was the first overall pick of the 2021 NFL Draft. 
What do you remember about him when you were doing the prep work in, in advance of that draft? You know, I appreciated the intangible quality of him. Uh, the tangible things are, are obvious. Um, he's got very good arm strength, and he can make any throw on the field. Um, he's got great fluidity in his movement. He's a really good athlete. Uh, he's big. He's strong. Um, all of those things are really evident. Um, but being a guy that spent a lot of time at Clemson, evaluate year in and year out, I was just always really impressed with how he managed being him. He was extremely comfortable in his sh- his shoes or his skin. Uh, he wore the responsibility of of being him very well in a very natural way. Uh, he ascended very quickly down there. I think he took over in the middle of his freshman year, about three or four games in, and they had had an established starter. Um, he just kind of managed awkward and intense circumstances very well. Um, he appeared to be very grounded and stable. Um, longtime girlfriend who eventually became his wife. There was nothing about him that that spoke to immaturity or lack of togetherness. And, and the intangible read was just as impressive as the first overall physical read if you're talking about his draft profile. Uh, what separated him at that time from Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, and Justin Fields, who also happened to be quarterbacks picked in the first round that year? Just the body of work. Um, look at the other guys, they, some, some of which were one-year starters or multiple schools and things of that nature. Um, that guy went into Clemson and, and earned the job rather quickly and wore it, and wore it in a very natural way, produced um, and, and managed the things that come with success very well. Um, and so he was much more predictable in my eyes, and I'm sure everyone's eyes, that's why he was first overall. Uh, as you looked at Lawrence this past week scouting the Jaguars, how has he developed over the course of his two-plus years in the league? You know, I'm probably not, you know, positioned to talk about that because um, I didn't look at him last year at all, and so I really didn't have an understanding of what his process was like. I've read some from a perception standpoint in terms of his growth and so forth. Um, and so um, I don't know what his process has been like, um, but I know he is a centerpiece of what they do and very capable and has little to no restrictions in what they're asking from him, from him in terms of command of the offense or, or, or latitude at the line of scrimmage, et cetera. Um, but I really don't know what that look has looked like over the course of his career. I know what it looks like now. Uh, Lawrence is uh, currently second on the team in rushing with 41 attempts for 206 yards. Uh, how he how has he been used to accumulate those t- statistics? Is is he more of a scrambler, a design run guy? How would you characterize that part of his game? Both. Um, he and Etienne are functioning very much like they function in Clemson. Uh, I'd imagine he was the second leading rusher at Clemson. Um, the, you know, they're in shotgun. Etienne is a sidecar runner. They have some zone read, some zone read keeps. He's great in the passing game in terms of ad lib, extending plays and, and scrambling. And, um, and so, it, you know, with those two, um, it looks very similar to what it looked like in Clemson, South Carolina. And what a cool thing for those two guys. Um, they've been together, man, since they were about 18 years old, man. And um, I'd imagine those waters run pretty deep in terms of um, 
the relationship, the understanding, the the nonverbal communication that comes with growing up together in multiple levels of football. Um, it's really an awesome thing that the Jacksonville Jaguars were able to do in terms of getting both of those guys. Uh, you play a team twice every year out of your own division that has a pretty good quarterback uh, when it comes to designed running plays. Uh, I'm not asking you to call uh, Trevor Lawrence Lamar Jackson, but is do they use him? Does he do the same kinds of things in similar situations? Short yardage? Josh line? Allen. Oh, okay. We, we play Josh Allen, it feels like, just about every year. Um, more Josh Allen-like. Um, he's a longer guy. Um, less COD in in short area make you miss. And so he's probably a more comparable to a Josh Allen in terms of how he utilizes his talents to, to chew up yards and extend plays and, and design runs. Buffalo, I'd imagine Josh Allen is Buffalo's second leading rusher. That's the Mike Tomlin Game Day Podcast. Subscribe and download new episodes every week and check out all of the other shows we have to offer on the Steelers Podcast Network that's available on the Steelers mobile app, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.